0: Okay, all right, where are you? I know you should be here any minute now. Yoo-hoo! You're here yet? Just not. That's okay. I know it'll be any second. According to my calculations, and this is just a rough ballpark estimation, it should be... he should be arriving here shortly around 10.55 a.m give or take 1.42 minutes or so. Yeah. How do I know this? Well, it's a great question, I'll tell you. You see, I have this really great positive attitude all the time. You see my constant smile? Yeah. Besides, I've done all of my homework. Yeah, um, I've read the good book, and I've memorized the book of Revelation in its entirety, in all the predictions that it holds. Did you know that every every prediction that is said in this book has come true in the world? The Bible is so clear. Yeah. So I'm I'm ready for his return. I'm ready. Any any second. What else have I done to get ready? Okay? Um I know all the parables. Every story there is in the Bible, I know them. Um I have Memorized the. I could recite to you every. From Genesis to, to Revelation, I could recite to you frontwards and backwards, actually, which is really hard to do. Backwards. It took me a while, but got it. Um, let's see. I've highlighted every time my name appears in the Bible. 28 times, actually, to be exact. And my name's Charity. If you didn't know, you could look it up later. Uh, let's see. I. Um, I could I've learned the currency that was used back then, which is really important to know when it comes to studying the return of everything. And I'm prepared. I'm ready. I'm ready for him to come. Told you. Any second. 10.55. Ready. Did you hear me? I'm ready for his return. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did you say? I'm... I'm looking forward to following who? Jesus Christ. Who's that?
1: Good morning. Sometimes the details get left out. And when we miss a detail, we might miss the whole story. Would you take your Bibles this morning and would you stand with me? You can use your outline if you'd like. I do want to quote from the New Living Translation. But in the pew in the rack in front of you on page 835, I would like to look at for a text this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Give you a second to get there. Just one last comment in regard to that little skit you just saw. Sometimes we get so religious, but not spiritual. Let's look at this together, if you will. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we talk to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your continual anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God loves you, dear friends, brothers and sisters, and that he chose you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit, he gave you full assurance that what he said was true. And you know that the way we lived among you was further proof of the truth of our message. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering that it brought you. In this way, you imitate us and the Lord. As a result, you yourselves became an example to all the Christians in Greece. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Greece. For wherever you go, we find people telling you, telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they themselves keep talking about the wonderful welcome that you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, for the past 52 weeks, and I don't know if you do this, but I do, I get one of these things, and I save the notes ever since we've had them from the beginning. And actually, for the past 51 weeks, if you will, we've gone through eight different series in here. And I took this last week, in fact, the last couple of weeks, um, I do this as part of my devotions. I, after I write notes and whatever the Holy Spirit would speak to me in the side column, separate from what Pastor may fill in... I, I take a look at this, and I, and I looked throughout this last year, and I realized this being the last Sunday of the year, standalone, not a part of a series. And when I thought about and prayed about and asked the Lord what He would have me to say, one of the first things that I heard Him say was, Go back and see what we've done in 2010. And so I've taken the time and I've looked at it, and you know, in just a synopsis, I don't have time this morning, and you're thankful for that, that I don't go through all 51 messages from the last part of this year. But I will tell you, we talked first, or pastor talked, along with several others, a series called Characters Welcome. And in that, we understood who we are in Jesus. We're not perfect, but we can become perfect in that when we do what he designs for us to do. And then we looked at releasing God's colors into the world around us in a series called Vivid. The third series that we talked about this last year was Living Proof talking about the power of the resurrection within us. That very thing that we just read about, that it came forth with incredible power. Verb was the next series where we talked about all the different actions that we take and how we prepare. And we were introduced with two questions, if you recall this last year, and that was to be able to ask anyone, what's your story and how may I serve you? That was, that's been awesome this last couple of months. And then we went into a series called Looking for Jesus, where we see the Jesus moments in everything around us. Divine appointments, as I like to call them, because sometimes we can miss what's right in front of us. And then I love that series that we went through, Bet You Didn't Know This, where we talked about all the stuff that we seem to be collecting and and, and that we're not even aware of in our lives and all the junk, and it was followed up with a whole series on games, the games that we play. If you remember, we talked about some of those old-fashioned games, Power Up and Berserk and Pitfall, and how we don't even realize at times those games that each of us play and that creep into there. And lastly, this last month, the last four weeks, we've been on a conspiracy, an advent conspiracy. Advent meaning coming, that first coming. You heard said earlier that all of the prophecies that have been mentioned in that Bible, 300 of them have come true with absolute pinpoint accuracy in regard to the first advent. What's interesting is within that, it was all started off by Pastor Don telling us that we need to worship fully. We found out through that series that Mary herself surrendered, Joseph obeyed, but it was the wise men who actually worshiped. And that's what really matters. From there, we were taught the challenge of when Jesus comes on the scene, who is it that rules in our lives? What is it? It causes, when he shows up, it causes us to stop and think what's most important and are our priorities straight. So we were encouraged to spend less and to give more. And not giving more in just in dollars, but to give in this season of expressions, not exchanges. And I would think that on this day after Christmas, I would love to go around the room and find out, have we done that? Have we given out of an expression? Have we given in eminence in that incarnation, those touch moments that we've been looking at? And then we saw last week through Pastor Jason, when we talked about how important it is to love all Not just those who love us back, but are we willing to love unconditionally? And I don't know about you, but I looked at that this last year, and at the end of this 2010, I thought, how faithful have I been? What have I done? Am I really prepared, and am I really ready? It all culminated this Advent season with the celebration on Friday night, Christmas Eve, and the birth of our Savior. And at the end of the year, we have a tendency to think, well, you know, just about another week away is New Year's, and we're going to start off brand new and wipe away the old, But I felt so led this year, since I had this opportunity, to be able to say, let's look back for a minute. Because you see, how we began 2010 is nowhere near as important as how we finish. And I want to challenge you this morning with, are you prepared to give an answer for how you finished? In our text this morning, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, and it really applies to you and I today, even a little bit later. He starts off by thanking the Lord and he's encouraging them. He reminds them of the grace and peace that's been given to each one of us and he's encouraging them to continue in learning and growing. Even in the prayer this morning that we heard, no matter where we're at, we're going to praise him in the great times, we're going to praise him in the tough times because he's there. And and we're encouraged not to be perfect, folks, but we're encouraged to be learning and growing and developing as we go through this. And we're also supposed to set an example there are people that are always watching us. We should be mentoring somebody as well as being mentored by others. We should be in that process. And lastly, what I think is really interesting, what just stood out to me in the midst of this, is Paul says, I want you to finish strong. Somebody told me years ago, I'll never forget it, about 31 years ago in my ordination service, it was our assistant superintendent that spoke at that time. And there were two major things that I've never forgotten. And the one of those that he mentioned to us is he says... No matter what you do, make sure that you finish strong because how you finish is more important than how you begin. You can build your whole life in ministry and have it all destroyed by one quick moment. And so it's really important for us to make sure that we finish strong. All of this then is to tell us, as Paul was writing to Thessalonians and as I speak to you this morning with boldness as well, that I want to encourage you in the work that has begun in each and every one of you in faith. It's endured through love, because we love him. That's the reason that we're here. And you know what? We continue in that, in the hope that Jesus Christ is coming. Which brings me to the first point, if you're filling it out in the outline, and that would be, it's a constant proclamation of the message. Our lives are that constant proclamation of the message itself. To this you recall, Peter said, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. And I love it. Paul even said, follow my example as I follow Christ. So I would hope that you could look at my life as well and say, I may not be perfect, he's not perfect, but can I follow him? Is his example something that is worth following? I would hope so. And the only way to really know that is by being in the word, by heeding the message that we've been given. You see, it's a constant process of growing. And as I mentioned, how we finished 2010 is far more important than how we began. He goes on in verse six where he says, and so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering that it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you yourselves became an example to all of the Christians. And then toward the end of that, in verse nine, he says this, but we, for you yourselves, keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols. Now that sounds pretty strong. And I don't know. If, what your concept is when you think about idol worship, but mine certainly wasn't what I thought we discovered throughout 2010. I thought of something that would be set up in front of me that I would bow down to, or that would be something, like, and I certainly don't do that. But what we discovered through some of the series that came to us from this platform right here was the very fact that we allow stuff to get in there. We allow games that we play We allow all kinds of things that we're vying for our attention to become more and more of a priority. Thus, it really has become an idol. And I think the message for you and I today in 2010 would be to say, has the Holy Spirit revealed areas in our lives that maybe we've set up something as an idol that's a little more important than spending time with him, that's a little more important than being obedient and reaching out to some of those around me? I think we've got to be careful of that. But that brings me to point two, and that is a conspicuous change of lifestyle. When people look at you, do they see that you're different? Or do you so blend in that you've become a chameleon? It's easy to do, especially in the culture we live in. And so our challenge, my challenge isn't just to you, it's to me as well. What's your testimony? If somebody were to ask you, what's God doing in your life right now? What would you tell them? See, in verse 10 of this particular portion of my text, he says, And they speak of how you're looking forward. To, the, to God's son coming from heaven, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead. You know, all my life, and I won't tell you how old I am, you can figure that out, but all my life I have been told Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. And I can remember a lot of the legalities that were in the church. I, I can remember, folks, back when we couldn't go to the picture show because if we were caught in the movies, Jesus might come and I might be left. I can remember those kind of things. And, you know, for, for, for hundreds of years now, for centuries... It's, it's been told over and over again. You know, Jesus is coming almost to the place that where we've gotten desensitized to it. That it takes something like a little skit like this to be able to say, to overemphasize, to remind us once again. And I, and, I, and I find it rather funny that Peter says in his word, keep reminding them of these things, even though they know them. We need to be told that. And so this morning, I'm reminding you, he's coming soon. But how soon is it? How close is it? I mean, could charity be right? Did it happen at 10.55 and we missed it? I think not. (laughs) Okay, how close are we? I was reading a book recently that just really caught my attention by Dr. David Jeremiah. It's entitled, What in the World is Going On? And he makes this quote, Never in my lifetime have I read such jarring headlines, distressing news analysis, or dire predictions for the American today. Things are getting so chaotic that many pundits are using the term perfect storm to explain a confluence of wide-ranging food shortages, record high fuel prices, and natural disasters. Now, I'm not here wanting to scare you today, but I think in the times that we live in, in the beginning of this 21st century, in these first 10 years that have been taking place, times are getting more scary and more fractionated, aren't they? And if we look around us, we're seeing an awful lot more of the signs. And yet... Jesus told us in John's gospel, it says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We need to be comforted. So what's the point? The point is this, point number three, is we have a conscious anticipation of his return. So we see that we've had the constant proclamation of the message. We've been instructed in all of 2010 how we should be living and how we should be reaching out and how we should be having an impact. And then we also, there should be a strong change of our lifestyle as the Holy Spirit speaks to every one of us a little bit different, and we respond to that. But thirdly, we need to be anticipating his return, which two simple points that really emphasize that. And one is, there's a warning. Jesus said in all of chapter 24 of Matthew, he mentions exactly what's going to happen, and you've read it before. I know you know this. But he said, you must be ready at all time, for the Son of Man will come when least Expected. So, in other words, if I get so desensitized, if I've been hearing it, and I don't know about you, but if you have been in the theaters recently to see the the most recent family movie that's out there, the previews all building up to that, it's like five out of the seven previews they show you are all about things that are happening in the end times and all kinds of the after effect and supernatural. I'm telling you, we're getting so desensitized to it that the church itself has got to make sure that we stay firm in this word so that we understand the signs of the times and where we're coming from. So we've been given a warning. But on top of that, as believers, we've been given a hope. Wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus told us. You know, our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that. It's so nice to know that I'm only passing through. Now, I like Erie. believe it or not. It's just, you know... Nine months out of the year, that's a little hard to to handle, you know? But, you know, it's interesting. When you served in ministry, and I've been at five different churches and been at different locations, and uh, when I I grew up, we we moved around a lot because my dad was in the military and then my parents divorced. And I've often thought, where is home? Where is really home? Where do I put on Facebook home is? I don't know. I guess here. This is it. But, you know, honestly, home is heaven. Heaven is what feels like home. And what is that? And in order for me to really understand that, I've got to make sure I'm into the word and that I'm heeding the warning. We've been encouraged and we've recognized this Advent season, this Christmas season, that there is more to life than just keeping busy. For if that's all there is in life, then the more busyness that we get, it just becomes that anesthetic to numb the pain. Well, if I just, if I just stay real busy, I won't have to really come to the real meaning of everything. no. We need to take time and stop and reflect. One of the beauties I love about Christmas Eve service is coming in and sitting and just soaking in and realizing that we need to take time in order to think that through. You see, 300 prophecies were given with pinpoint accuracy announcing the first advent. And I don't know if you realize this, but people that are numbers people get into this. I don't know why, but we do but there are over three times as many prophecies given in the word announcing the second advent, the second coming of Christ. If the first one happened, you can bank on the fact the second one's going to happen because it's three times as likely that that's what's going to happen. The Lord himself spoke of the wisdom of discerning the signs, as I already mentioned in Matthew 24. He said, you better be ready. You better understand the sign of the time. You better know what's happening. And Peter, once again, I just need to say this to you. He said, keep reminding them of these things, even though they know them. Could it be today? Could it be before New Year's? Oh, surely it won't happen before I get married. Surely it won't happen before I have kids or grandkids. Oh, well, I'm later in years now, so it can happen now, right? But at some point, we had this discussion around the dinner table a little bit last night, And 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 coming around there, one of my kids says, Well, maybe one generation will just stop having kids. Yeah, right. Just doesn't quite work that way. Then we would kind of know. We just keep moving. Well, in these days, one very significant thing that we need to keep our eye on, and even in Dr. David Jeremiah's book, he mentions ten signs that we need to be aware of, and I was I was really impressed with all of them, but one really caught my attention. As you know, that two months ago we took a trip and we went to place called israel the holy land and we need to keep our eye upon what's happening in israel what's really interesting is you have this tiny little country that's about the size of new jersey six million people are there and yet you won't find a country that is more mentioned in the news in the national news than israel because there's something happening and something going on and and why go to israel well, I've asked John and Christine Mara if you will come up here, and as they're coming up here, I want to share a quote with you because I'm going to have them share just a little bit about why did we go to Israel and what did they experience when we went there. But I agree with the Rabbi Elon who made the statement. He said, "I believe that if you do not know how to read the Bible, you cannot understand the daily newspaper. If you do not know the biblical history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then you cannot possibly understand the miracle." of the modern state of Israel. I'm telling you, folks, we're living in what's called last days. John and Christine, you had a chance to go with us. We took 22 of us and went to Israel. Why did you go?
2: Well, I know for me, um, for a long, long time, I've just always kind of had this urge. I just, I, you know, it's something you want to do. And it's just kind of in the back of your mind. And I kind of put it in God's hands to just kind of let me know when. And things came up that everybody in the church, we were going, and it's just, I just knew like I knew and it was awesome. It was just absolutely amazing. Um, just different things that we did. We saw so much stuff crammed into you know, the 10 days that we were there. And I was thinking about it later on that, you know how when you go traveling or you go visiting and whatever, and eventually you get to that point where you just want to go home. I've, I've been away from home and I have to go home. That's it. That's what the drive was. I needed to go home to Israel. And when I got there, I was greatly rewarded. I mean, the Sea of Galilee, the things that you just experience when you're there is just amazing. And the thing is now is the whole Bible comes alive. You, you were there. When they talk about Jesus in Jerusalem and he walked to the desert, I know how long it is. I mean, you think it could take days and days. It's like, no, it's right over there. And how can there be Bedouins right, in, right so close to Jerusalem? They are. They are. They're there, yet you've got the city bustling and all that, and everybody, the biggest question is, is, oh my God, is it safe? Absolutely. It's no different there than it is here. And everybody's like, well, there's going to be shootings, there's going to be this and that. There's more of that going on here. There was none of that when we were there. We didn't hear of anybody getting anything. There's little kids playing in the streets, and moms and dads are not sitting there guarding over them. Oh my God, somebody's going to kidnap them. They're just living their lives and just bustling and doing their thing, and you know, So it's no different, but what it does spiritually is just amazing.
1: So would you recommend, especially for some people, going that far is quite a ways. Yes. It's not necessarily real cheap, but we were able to pull together a group thing. What would you say to others? Why should they go?
2: You need to go home. You need to feel that. I mean, and I, I kind of joke that when we go back... I'll at least know my way around. I was there once already. <laughs> so I'll know where everything is. And like he said, you know, it's such a small little country. You're, you're, you're standing in Jerusalem. Well, there's the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is that, and there's the Temple Mount. And there's, I mean, it's all just right there. So you wonder how hard was it for them to get from one point to another. It must have taken forever. No, it doesn't. You know, I think the longest was an hour ride, you know, by bus. And, I mean, sure, by camel it would take longer, but, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, it, it's just, it just puts it all into perspective. And you won't hear the news the same. You won't read your Bible the same because you're going to be, you were there and you saw it. And it just, it just puts it all into perspective. And like I said, you're going home. It think, just fills uh, think, that need.
3: I think, too, is uh, one of the things that you need to understand is that God chose this place to come to. I mean... This is where the temple was. This, I mean, God chose this one place on the entire earth to come and live with his people. And it's like, oh my God, when you're there, I mean, you you can just feel it. It's different. And I expected a fractured, scared people that had been beaten up by God in the world. And what you find there is you find people who are so filled with faith, And even the ones that aren't following Jesus, they are so filled with faith that, I mean, if you think about it, they came back to Israel and they're placing themselves in harm's way. I mean, the general feeling is, is that the battle of Armageddon is going to take place in this area, in this this field. And these people are so filled with faith that they're putting themselves in harm's way and they're willingly coming here for God because they know they will be saved. Even the ones that aren't following Jesus right now, they know they will be saved. It's amazing.
1: Thank you guys so much. Give them a hand, would you? (laughs) The reason I saw that is that Pastor and I have decided, and as a result of of really us going and taking that group, that we're going again. We're going again on October 26th of 2012. And if you'd like to go, it's about 2800 bucks. And I'm telling you, it's an incredible investment, but you hear it. I don't care how much you study Israel, how much you study the Holy Land. And I'm not saying that if you can't go, you've you've missed it. But I'm just telling you, if you have an opportunity, the Lord really does prompt your heart, that, that pull that together to be able to go with us. We're going to take 30 people in order to go over there to Israel once again and to see the land of the Bible and see it so come alive. It will absolutely blow your mind. And she's right. That's where home is. So what's the big deal about it? Well, Abraham was given a blessing years ago. And that's where it all started, folks, from Genesis 12. And that was it just the first three verses say this. To Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's absolutely amazing when we saw Even in Israel, three different cultures. You've got Christians, you've got Jews, and you've got the Muslims. And all three have a smattering. You see the land of the Bible, you see modern day today, and you see many of the Muslims that are there, all three overlapping. And it is absolutely an incredible experience. But what we saw firsthand, and and we have a tendency to, to Western culturalize this, as opposed to Eastern mindset, and, 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 and not until you go there do you really understand that we are a part. We are written in this book, folks, you and I. This isn't something that just happened a couple of thousand years ago. You and I are written right in here. We're a part of that. It, are, it is a part of living history. But when, when God gave that promise to Abraham, it's interesting today that his name is so revered everywhere. Something that I did not realize until just recently, that from 1901 until 2007, there have been 777 Nobel Peace Prizes given. Of those, and I don't know if you watch that at all, it's not just something that's just flippantly given, but the peace, uh, of that Nobel Peace Prize, 176 of those have been given to Jews. In other words, for a population of less than two-thirds of 1% of the whole world's population, they have obtained... of all Nobel Peace Prizes over the last century. That is an amazing feat. God has really blessed them for a particular reason. Also, I can tell you that Abraham was told that he would be a a, a blessing to many. Do you realize that without the Jews, there would be no Bible? Without the Bible or without the Jews, there would be no Jesus? Without a Jewish Jesus, there would be no Christianity. And without Christianity, well, and, and without the Jews, there wouldn't even be the Ten Commandments of which our whole Jewish jurisprudence and law proceedings really centers on. Even though they're trying to pull the Ten Commandments out of many of the Supreme Courts, I'm telling you, it's mounted on almost the back wall of every Supreme Court in this nation, in this land. They'll have a hard time rewriting all the monuments. But I'm telling you, the blessing that goes upon Abraham, those that bless Israel will be blessed. There's been no other nation like the United States that has so blessed Israel and come alongside them. We have been founded on the very fact that his sovereign purpose has been a part. Did you know? It, what's, what's really interesting to me is that when you stop and you think, why the Jews? Why of all people the Jews? Are they, they're not more populous. They're not more spiritual. They're not more righteous. So why did God choose them? Well, because, and you heard John say, God put his hand on that particular land and he chose. It was his sovereign plan. He's God. He gets to do it, but listen to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 12, it says, it is a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. God says, I'm watching over Israel. And if you'll pay attention, you'll know what's going on. If you wanna know what's happened in the second coming, if you wanna know what's happening in the last days, you'll keep an eye on Israel, not on the United States. We've been blessed, folks, simply because we have been a blessing to Israel and I'm telling you, what's really interesting about that is I think that blessing is beginning to lift. Now, I happen to take a bunch of our kids, uh, our eighth graders. I'm also the school superintendent. And so I, uh, for the last 12 years, I take our eighth graders on a U.S. history trip. And we go down to Washington, D.C. And in the middle of Washington, D.C. is this big, white, tall structure, 555 feet. It's called the Washington Monument. On the very top of it is an, is an aluminum capstone. And on that capstone, on the east side of it, what they put there initially is in Latin the words las deos, which means praise be to God. Our founding fathers wanted to make sure that people knew that it was God that blessed this nation. And there's a decree in all of Washington, D.C. that there's no building that can be built higher than a certain level, that that Washington Monument needs to be at the top. Now, you and I can't see that. It's only heavenward. So when when they actually constructed that, they came down to the 490-foot level when we're on the inside. And in there, where it talks about the construction of it, they had a replica of that. But did you know that three years ago... They actually turned that thing around and they changed what the construction of the monument was and took out that particular verbiage. When the National Park Service was questioned on it, they said, oh, we made a mistake and we're trying to fix it. I've been there the last three years. It's not been fixed. What do you think's happening to the moral fabric of our nation? You'd have to get rid of all the monuments because I'm telling you, when we go to D.C., we talk about it from a standpoint of what God said. When you go into the Capitol Building, around the rotunda, all the way around there are eight huge paintings, and one of them is of Christopher Columbus, and underneath it, it actually says this. It says, the great explorer Christopher Columbus discovered the New World by accident. It wasn't by accident because if you happen to read the journals of Christopher Columbus, In there, in his journal, he expressed his belief that the voyages that he were taking was to usher in the millennial age. He actually penned this in his journal. He was firmly convinced that the words of Isaiah, so shall the fear of the name of the Lord be from the west. He was convinced that that meant that there were lands west of Europe that had not been discovered, and he was setting out to do that. He was doing God's purpose, and he was doing that in order to found this country. Now, originally, I will tell you, Washington, D.C. was seen kneeling at Valley Forge. The First Continental Congress was on their knees seeking God. I can tell you we've seen Lincoln praying in the national crisis. Woodrow Wilson was known to be reading his Bible late at night in the White House. And even Ronald Reagan spoke very highly of the fact that God had a plan for this nation and this country. But I'm telling you, folks, and the reason I'm saying all this is to tell you, times are changing. We are living in what's called the last days. So why have we been so blessed? It's because the Abrahamic Covenant. But if we cease to partake of that, if we cease to bless Israel, there will be a curse that has actually been told. You don't believe me? Come with us next time when you go to Israel. You'll see it. It will make it come alive just like you heard those two say. What is happening in our country today? Well, you know, in 1954, they put in the words in the Pledge of Allegiance under God. There's a group of people now trying very hard to get that out because we, they don't feel we're a nation under God. What is happening to us? I believe it's the believers, the Christians that are holding things together. And we have got to still maintain and be firm to exactly what we've been called to do. One interesting thing, and for the sake of time, and I'm looking at this, I want to be able to really get in what's really important. But you know, we've been likened to the Roman Empire and to the Greek. And there has not been a civilization today that's lasted more than 200 years. We're 234 years old. But I'm telling you, the moral fabric is really decaying in our nation. You don't believe me? Well, listen, Dr. Carl Zimmerman, not our Dr. Carl Zimmerman, a sociologist in 1947 penned 11 things that he found that actually were the start of what was the demise of both the Greek and the Roman culture. Listen to this. Tell me if we have any of these. No-fault divorce. Increased disrespect for parenthood and parents. Three, meaningless marriage ceremonies. Defamation of past national heroes. Acceptance of of alternative marriage forms, widespread attitudes of narcissism, hedonism, and feminism, a propagation of the anti-family sentiment, an acceptance of most forms of adultery, rebellious children, increased juvenile delinquency, common acceptance of all forms of sexual perversion. If you don't think we're there, then read again. If you don't think it's in the Bible, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. It talks about in the last days, this is what's going to happen. And I didn't have time to go into all that, but I say all that to say that the second, time, the second coming is very, very short. What's happening to our country? We were founded on submission to him. We were founded on the very premise that our national leaders actually took time and thanked God and asked for his blessing upon everything that we're doing. And that is slowly, slowly, slowly being lifted. And when it does, I don't want to be here. I don't know about you. We can't expect God's blessing anymore. Verse 10 in my text says, And they speak of how looking forward to the coming of God's Son heaven from heaven, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, he is the one. Now let me tell you partially what's going to happen. Scripture is very clear. There is going to be a second coming of Christ. Specifically in Revelation, it talks about Jesus will come once again a second time and set foot on earth. That's when he will plant his feet. Typically, it will be, or specifically, I should say, not typically, but specifically, it will be in Jerusalem. It will be in the area of Megiddo we saw this big, huge valley. It was absolutely spectacular and gorgeous. There's a military base right in the middle of it, and many of those planes, when they take off, and we were standing up at the top of the mountain in there, looking over that particular region, and as we were standing there, all of a sudden, one of these jets just came taking off and just flew up and over. just gave you goosebumps and chills. But we looked out over this absolutely beautiful valley, realizing Scripture tells us, That when the ten nations gather together and descend and come down, I mean, they are going to be a hundred times larger than Israel. But Jesus says, no, it ain't going to happen. He's coming back again, and he's going to whoop the tar out of. He's going to kick some behind of Satan. We know it's going to happen. However, Scripture also says that just prior to that happening is a time of seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half are going to be a time when economics come together under a one-world system. Now, our money system is destroying. It's getting getting bad. It's getting really bad. You know that. And somewhere along the way, somebody's got to come up with a plan that says, hey, how can we do this? On our national debt, what are we in, $9 trillion of debt? We've we've been taught that we've we've sold our soul away is what's happened to us in America. We've missed the point. But the first three and a half years of that tribulation period, scripture is very clear in Revelation and that it talks about the Antichrist himself will be revealed. He will come to a particular place, and it could be a he or she. Surprising enough, there are people in the world today who have got influence all over the world that uh, who knows what's going to take place. But in the middle of that, they're going to break that peace treaty with Israel. It's so absolutely clear, and you see it today. You see it in the world. It's unfolding. In the second three and a half years of the tribulation, if you will, all hell's going to break loose. That's when the seven plagues are released, the seven seals it talks about in Revelation. Now what's really not clear to a lot of us is what happens to the church? Do we as a church go through that or do we not? There's a term that we use called the rapture. The rapture is defined this way. It means an expression or manifestation of ecstasy or passion being carried away by overwhelming emotion. It's not seen from the standpoint of those who are left but those that are taken. And I don't know about you but, it, but truly when the rapture of the church happens when we're pulled out of here, when we're removed I believe, and I'm telling you You've got scripture that will back all of it, but I'm going to tell you what I think. So if you want to write letters, go right ahead. But I'm just telling you, I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen prior to the tribulation, because I think if the, if the Antichrist was revealed while Christians were still here, there would be mass chaos. I personally think the Antichrist is going to be revealed when the Christians are gone. Do you realize today in our nation, even though we're not a Christian nation, if all of the believers were caught up instantly right now, about 25% of America would be absolutely removed. What would that do to the United States? That would be similar to you finding out you have cancer in your body and all of the healthy cells were just removed so that the cancer could just fight itself. That's exactly what would happen to America. Is America actually mentioned in end times? Not specifically. My belief is that it probably will join up with one of the 10 European nations in an ally against or in that peace treaty with Israel during that tribulation period, and at the middle part of that, that's when the Antichrist is going to say, okay, now I have absolute power, dominion, and control. You will worship me, and the only way that you can buy and sell things is through a mark, because we all know credit card fraud. Well, we got to do something about it, and they'll come up with that chip. That chip's already been developed. It's already been out there, but scripture tells us it's actually going to be implanted on the right hand or in the forehead, and if you don't have the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy. Now, why is the Bible not so clear when the Christians are taken up? Because it's kind of like if you knew exactly what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, you would live like crazy up until that particular point. And I think we need to be walking by faith. And I think there needs to be that element within each one of us that says, am I ready? Am I truly ready? Can it happen? Scripture is very clear. Three times as many prophecies that are given on that second coming of Christ than there were on the first one. And I'm telling you, the part that really gets me deep inside is that when I read through the Bible and it says, during those last days, many of the elect will fall away. That word elect meant many of the believers will fall away. And do you know why? Because we haven't been faithful. Because we've been given sermons, we've been told what we're supposed to do, but we haven't done it. We've not been obedient. And therefore, the Bible's grown cold, we've grown desensitized. And the message this morning really is very clear to us, and that is as we look at how we're ending 2010, as we look at how we're going to end our life, my question to each one of us is, how do we finish? Because it's how we finish that's far more important than how we began. Yes, it's important to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but then what? I remember as a teenager when I got saved and I'm thinking, okay, I got saved, now what? Now what do I do? What am we supposed to do now? Well, that's the second half of your outline. And I'm going to give you that in two quick points, honestly. And that is, the first one is this. Because we're told to encourage each other with these words. This is encouraging. I don't know about you, but I get a little fired up. Can you tell? Number one. Oop, I went, turned to number two. We should be looking for him. We should be looking for him. Listen to this. Dr. Wayne Grudem, a professor of systematic theology, made this statement. I didn't say this. He suggests that to the degree that which we are actually longing for Christ's return is a measure of our spiritual condition. Here's the comment he makes. The more Christians are caught up in enjoying the good things of this life, the more they neglect genuine Christian fellowship and their personal relationship with Christ, the less they will long for His return. On the other hand, many Christians who are expecting suffering or persecution who are more elderly and infirm and those whose daily walk with Christ is vital and it's deep will have a more intense longing for His return. That's true. I've noticed the older I get... (laughs) the easier it is to look forward to it. When I was younger, I didn't want it to happen. But I'm telling you, what he's telling all of us is that we need to be reminded, we need to be encouraged, we need to say, listen, we got to be looking for him. It could happen at any time. And do we know what that means? Do we know what that means? It kind of reminds me of, you know, working in the shop and when the boss leaves, all the guys who have no moral fiber, no moral fabric will do nothing. They'll do whatever the minimum is to get by knowing that someday he's coming back and he's gonna say, are you ready? And have you been found faithful? Have you been preparing in the quiet times? Have you been preparing where, where it's needed most? In just a couple of chapters over in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus back with those who have fallen asleep. And verse 15, I absolutely love this. According to the Lord's own word, he said. In other words, the Lord himself said, be ready. Be ready because it can happen at any time. It suggests that basically, as Paul said, there's a mystery out there, but that mystery can be revealed as you press in and as you seek him. That's another reason why I think the word rapture is appropriate in the fact that we need to be ready. We'll be caught up to be with him, not before the dead in Christ, And since God is the God of over time, He can do whatever He wants. He can pause it. And they've often wondered. I've heard people say to me, "Well, wouldn't I die? Should I be cremated? Should I just be buried? Because the dead in Christ will rise." It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God has a plan, and He knows what He's doing. We came from dust. We're going back to dust. It's our soul that really matters. And is it really ready? And then the second thing is, should we be looking for Him? We should be living for Him. Now, we could do what you saw up here earlier. we could could have it so memorized, we could have it so down, we could have it down, we could pinpoint it to the minute, but if we don't have a relationship with him, if we're not nurturing that and realizing, I've got to be ready, I've got to have my bags packed, I've got to be ready to go, but at the same time, I need to occupy till he comes. And what does that mean? It's really not scary. It's exciting. And when we're told to encourage one another with these words, that's what he says. Three of the apostles made statements that said we should be living for him. In Titus, Paul wrote there, and he says, "...for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, underlined, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ." who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his own. And then Peter said it this way, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy. Man, we saying that today. You know what holy means? Holy means set apart. And, and, and the best example I can give of that is that, you know, I have this thing right here as a pin. It's not an ice pick. If I try to use this as an ice pick, this thing is Imperfect. But if I take this and I click it and it has ink in it and it writes, this pen is perfect. And you may say, but I got a pen that's better. That may be. But this is doing what it's designed for. And you and I are to do what we've been designed for. And that is to live holy lives. To be set apart for his purpose. To be godly and to look forward to the day of his coming. And then John said it this way. Dear friends, now that we are no warrior children of God, what will we be has not yet been made known. But what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, for he is pure. In other words, it's coming soon. And we need to be prepared. We need to be self-controlled. We need to be holy. We need to be heeding the warning. And when we've been told what to do, take note. And use it as part of your devotions and come back to it and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And at the end of the year, look back, whether it's journaling or whether it's writing in that, and say, Lord, what have I done? What do I need to work on? And where do we go from here? So what's the point of all this? Well, you and I, we are the church, not this building. The church is living stones. And we as the church are to be prepared and to be ready. And I'm incredibly excited about what the future holds. Our job is very simple. It's to reveal Jesus. It's to go through that. To know what our story is and to work at, at serving others. It's not about His timing. He knows the time. We don't. Our job is to be ready. My job this morning was to remind you of these things be looking for Him and to be living for Him. So there's that constant proclamation of the message. There is that conspicuous change of lifestyle in you when people say, Wow something's different. What is that about you? And then there's that conscious anticipation of his return. We've been warned. We have a hope and we need to be looking for him. Will you stand with me? Father God, I thank you so much for this year that you've given to us in 2010. And I thank you, Lord, for the blessing that you have bestowed on each and every one of us in this place today. We thank you for family. We thank you for friends. We especially thank you for our church family as we've come to gather this morning. And Lord, I pray that more than anything else, rather than just that emotional appeal, that we would just respond to what your Holy Spirit is telling each of us that we need to do. I ask for your blessing. We've got five, six days left in this year to really reflect and to think through and to know that it's all about how we finish, more so than how we got started. So I pray now your blessing upon us. May, as we close out this year and as we look forward to the next one, May we be so excited about your coming. We don't know when that is. You do. But we want to be ready. We want to be living for you and looking for you. And so I thank you for this. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a blessed new year.